Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. So you're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And what a wonderful song to introduce the message because as I think about these three men who love the Lord God, they know that Jesus is worthy. Amen? And they would want to point people to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And probably all three of them would say, get on with the business of teaching the Word and preaching the Word that other people might have an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Christ. You know, in our day and time, if we're not careful, we can be shocked at the world. It seems as though the world is getting worse and worse and worse. But you know, if you read in history and you read in biblical accounts, you'll find out that the world has always been evil. It's really no worse than it was at any other time. The world is full of sin because of the fall of man. And because of sin, the world is at the disposal of the enemy. And the enemy has an opportunity to influence in all sorts of ungodly and evil ways. So we should not necessarily be shocked at the fact that the world is evil or that the world is the way that it is. But the challenge of our day, the challenge of our day is not the world. The challenge of our day is the church. Who is the church? Who are we? The world is always going to be the same until Jesus redeems it and the redemption draweth nigh. But we as the church... We have been called to be distinctly different. But one of our problems is that in recent days, we as the church have begun to look a whole lot like the world. And Paul warned us about that. And in 2 Timothy, he, he warns the church these words. Listen, but realize in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self and lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although denying the power thereof. What the Apostle Paul was warning us about is not about the world. It's about the church. And he says the church must not become like the world, but the church must be distinctly different from the world. There should be something about the church that makes us to where we have an impact and we're the light that shines in this world of darkness. The church needs to be the church. And we need to realize what it means to be the church. And we need to encourage one another in being the church. But when you think about the church, you have to think about it in terms of the building blocks. What really makes a church? What makes a church are families. Isn't that true? Families are the building blocks of the church. Family units are the building blocks of the church. Whether that family unit would be one person or whether it will be a half a dozen or ten, whatever that group might be, they make up family units, and the family units are what make up the church. So if the church is going to be what God wants the church to be, then it means that families must be what God wants families to be. 
And therefore, in order for the church to be revived, we need to be revived as families. And whenever we as families get revived, then the church as a family will be revived. It will be renewed. It will make a difference. It will be the light that shines in the world of darkness. It'll make an impact in the world the way God wants it to do. So our focus is on the church. And our focus is on family. And what does it take to be the family God wants us to be? And if we become the families God wants us to be, then we'll become the church God wants us to be. What does it take to be that kind of family? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us with that in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, Paul tells us some glorious truths about family. Some important truths about how to be the family that God wants us to be. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. Notice what he says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, why would he bow his knees before the Father? He's going to what? He's going to pray. He's going to pray. Have, have we forgotten how to bow our knees? How long has it been since you bowed your knee? How long has it been since you got on both of your knees before Almighty God and you prayed? Sometimes we'll talk about bowing our knees, but when's the last time you got on and bowed your knees? He says, I'm going to bow my knees before a holy God. I'm going to bow my knees because I'm going to pray. And I'm going to be praying for you. And I'm going to be intensely praying for you about things that you need to know as a family. Now, listen to what he says. I, I bow my knees before the Father... Underline this, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Leave your Bibles open as we look at these truths today. Here's the first truth found there in verse 15. He said this, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Do you know that your family has its name because God gave that name? Did you realize that? Every family on earth derives its name from God. Names are important to God. Did you ever realize how important names are to God? Have you read in any of those sections of the Old Testament where it's so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and you can't pronounce half their names? You know where I'm talking about? I mean, we think about why, why do we write all those things down? Why all these genealogies? Because names and families are important to God. He names everyone, every one of us get our beginning. Do we derive our name from holy God? Your family today is your family because God ordained it. And you have the people in your family because God willed it. And he is the one who gave you life and gave you family. And you ought to thank God every day for his family that he gave you. And he lets you be a part of it. 
Every family derives their name from God. So if God is the one who initiates it, God's the one who creates it, God who wants to give it, do you think God wants to bless it? Amen. Let me help you a little bit. Amen. Amen, Brother Matt. Yes, he does. Whatever he creates, he wants to bless. Whatever he creates, he ordains to bless. He wants it to be good. So God has a plan for it to be good and for your family to be good. Now, you ought to take that in your heart, in your life, and you ought to say that every day. God, I know that you have a plan in your life that our family be blessed and that good things come our way. When bad things seem as though they would want to swamp you and you wonder how things are happening, you just claim it every day. God, I know that you're the creator of our family. You're the one who gave us our family. And whatever you create is meant for good. And you have good in your plans for us. That is important for you to know. The old devil is going to try to beat you on every side. He's going to try to make you wonder if that's true. But the reality of it is God created you. God gave you the family. And therefore, he's going to bless your family. He wants to bless your family. Live under that blessing. There's a second truth, though. I hope you didn't miss that in verse 15. Notice what it says. From whom every family, listen, in heaven and on earth derives its name. Do you know that family is not just for this earth? It says family. Look at it. Every family on earth and where? In heaven. Do you know that family, because it's created by God, it has the eternal nature of God. And just as God is eternal, God has those families to be eternal. Do you know that there will be families in heaven? Now, that doesn't mean every family is going to be in heaven. But there will be families in heaven. Those who come by the way of the cross, those who come by the way of Jesus, they will be a part of that family. That answers a question a lot of people ask me. People ask me all the time, will we know each other in heaven? Are we going to know who, are we going to know another person, our family? Are we just going to all be up there and we're not really going to know each other? We just know we're in heaven. Well, no, you're going to know your family. One of the most important things that God gives to you is your relationships. The reason Jesus died on the cross is because of relationship, that you'd have a right relationship. Therefore, that relationship is significant and you're going to know each other in heaven. I'm, when I get there, I'm going to see my mama and my dad and my brother. I'm going to see those people who preceded me that I love. We're going to have a great party and a great time. And our family is going to be there. We have the opportunity of the eternal nature of family on earth and family in heaven. Amen? So make sure your family gets to heaven. Make sure your family gets to heaven that you have the opportunity of enjoying that because families are intended to be eternal. They're intended for that relationship to last. Well, what did he say? He said, he's the one who creates family, and he's the one who blesses family. He's the one that is going to take care of family and have that family in heaven. But notice what he said about the prayer. Here's the prayer. That he, God, verse 16, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, this, that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Now, what in the world is that mouthful saying? <laughs> well, let's break it down. He says, what I'm praying is that he would, agree, he would grant you something. He would give you something. I'm wanting God Almighty to give you something. Now, here's how, here's how I want him to give I want him to give it to you according to his riches and glory. Now, what does that mean? Well, 
The, the word according is a, is a wonderful word. It means to, to be in relationship to and to have in a ratio of. In other words, he, said, he didn't say, I'm just going to ask God to give you out of his glory and, and his riches. Glory. I'm going to ask him to give it out of that. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to give it, a, I'm asking him to give it according to. In other words, he, how much he has and how much is there, I wanted to give you in relationship to that. Let me explain it to you this way. If you knew a multimillionaire, and that multimillionaire gave you $5, he would be giving you out of his riches, right? That'd be out of his riches. But it wouldn't be according to his riches. If he gave you according to his riches, he would give you a million dollars. Why? Because he's able to, and other people can't do that. He's giving according to his riches, according, in relationship to what he has. Listen to what Paul says. I'm asking God Almighty to give you something according to his riches in glory. Now, how rich are the glories of God? God's glory is so great that people couldn't even go into the temple when his glory shows up. Couldn't go on the Mount Sinai when his glory shows up. Couldn't go in the tabernacle when his glory shows up. That, that, that man Moses who knew him face to face couldn't even see him because of his glory. But he says, that glory that is incomprehensible, that glory is so rich and great, that glory, I want God to show his riches out of that glory that he has. That's a lot of glory. <laughs> That's a lot of riches. I'll tell you, it's ever sufficient to what you're going to need. Amen? I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what your need might be. I don't care where you're going to be. Whatever you have, whatever you're going to face, God has sufficiency for you. And he says this, according to his riches and glory, I want to do this for you. I want to strengthen you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Paul says, I know this, in order for you to be the family that you need to be and you need to be in your family, you're going to need strength. Amen? You're going to need strength. You're going to need strength in your inner man. It's not just your strength, it's his strength, that his spirit would give you strength in your inner man to be what you're supposed to be in your family. Do you know none of us can be what we're supposed to be in our family, but in God we can be. In God we can be. And so what we're saying, God, is you just got to give me the strength to do that. God, you got to, and Paul knows that. He's saying, I'm praying for you that in your inner person, that you're going to have all the strength that you're going to need, that everything's going to be right in your life so that you'll be a blessing to your family. When's the last time you prayed that you'd be a blessing to your family? Not that your family blesses you, but you'll be a blessing to your family. And how are you going to be that blessing family? Isn't that challenging sometimes? Is your family challenging? You don't have to worry about them. They're not looking at you. They're looking my way, okay? Is your family challenging sometimes? Is it difficult sometimes? Or is it always just a smooth road for you? No, it's not a smooth road. We all face the challenges. And what do we need? We need God's strength. His strength, according to his riches, in my inner man to help me to be what I need to be. That's what I need. And God says he'll do it. Paul's prayed that he will do it. We ought to pray for each other that God will do it. That he'll provide everything we need. Then he tells us three steps of how that takes place. Look what it says there in verse 17. There can be three things he says, three steps. Here it is. 
So that first step, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's the first thing. If you're going to experience the glory of God and his riches in your life and his sufficiency in your life, he said the first thing is you're going to have to have, you're going to have, to have Christ in your heart. You're going to have to have Christ in your heart. That's where it begins. Apart from Jesus coming into your heart and life, forgiving you of sin, apart from him adopting you to his family and having an opportunity to change your inner man, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to have and be all that you need to be in your family. But the first place is that Christ might dwell in your hearts. And how do you have Christ dwell in your hearts? Through faith. Through faith. It's not your works, not my works, it's my faith. Faith that Jesus Christ died on this earth, paid the price for sin, offers forgiveness to, for me and for you, and that we can be a part of his family, filled by his spirit, that I believe by faith that that is true, and I claim that by faith, and Jesus comes to live in my heart and live in my life. That's where it begins. If you don't get step one done, you're not going to get step two done. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, you're going to have a difficult time. Matter of fact, whenever I counsel people before they're getting married, I, I talk to them personally about their relationship with Christ. I want to know whether or not they have a relationship with Jesus. Now, why would I want to know that? Because for a person to take on the responsibility and make the commitment that they're going to live unconditionally in love with that person and to meet all their needs, no matter what happens, they're going to meet their needs all the days of their life without them having the unconditional love of God in their heart seems to me like an impossibility. I mean, I think a five-year-old has got a better chance of working a calculus problem than that person does of loving unconditionally when they don't know the love of Jesus in their heart. So I would encourage them to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Then now you have the potential, now you have the opportunity that the love of God can be in your heart and you can love that person you're making a commitment to to love them eternally and unconditionally. You can do that. But it all starts with Jesus. Giving your heart to Jesus. But that's not all. Here's the second step. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. Wow. Not only do we need Jesus in our heart, we need to be rooted and grounded in love. The term rooted applies to vegetable life or plant life. It's the idea that, that a, a plant or a tree would be rooted deeply in the ground so that when the wind blows, much like Psalm 1, that, that the, the storms are not going to affect it because it's deeply rooted. The term grounded has to do with building a building, like building the foundation of a building, that you build the right kind of foundation so that when all the storms come, that it will stand. And he says, what you need to do is you need to be rooted and you need to be grounded in love. Love is the key. Love is the key. But how do you have it? Because Jesus lives in your heart. <laughs> when Jesus lives in your heart, now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to love. And you need to be rooted and grounded in that kind of unconditional love. What did Jesus say was the distinct mark of a believer? What did he say was the distinct mark of the church? It's found in John 13, 35. He said, what? They will know that you are my disciples because you what? Because you have love for one another. The reason the way that the world will know that we are the disciples of Jesus, that we serve Jesus, we know Jesus, is because we're going to love each other. And the way we love each other is because Jesus' love is in our heart. And the way we love each other as a church is because we love each other as a family. 
And we're going to continuously, continuously love God and continuously love one another. To be rooted and grounded in love. Now, here's what he says is, it means to be rooted and grounded in love. Look at verse 18. That, may be, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth of God's love. You ever thought about that? How high is love? <laughs> how wide is love? How, how deep is love? How, what is the breadth of love? He, what he does, he takes all kinds of ways we measure different things. He, there, there's the way we measure length, isn't there? Yes. There, there's, a, there, there's a way we measure volume. There, there's a way we measure intensity. There's even a way you measure resistance. There's all kinds of ways that you measure things. And he says, all of those things and all those measurements of love, I want you to be able to find and define how big, how great, how awesome is love. And you know what he means by that? He means really that there's no way, no instrument, no capacity to measure the love of God. Whatever, whatever we have, whatever we think, whatever we think we can measure it by, God's love is greater. God's love is greater. And to have that kind of great love flowing out of our heart and out of our life, that helps you to be rooted. It helps you to be grounded in love. But that's not all. That's what he says in verse 19. He says, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. He said, I want you to know so much the love of God that it's beyond your ability to know. That don't make sense. To have the knowledge of the love of God that's greater than what you know. It doesn't make sense, but, it, but it's true. It's true. When you, when you fall in love with somebody, how do you describe that love? How can you describe it? I mean, they say, I'm in love with you. What does that mean? What is that? How do you describe love? Now, you know what love is, don't you? You know what love is because it's something deep within us that is real, that we know of, it grabs hold of our heart, but we cannot explain it. I mean, there's no words, it's beyond the ability to communicate, but there's just this real love that is there. Why is it, young men, whenever that cute little girl comes by and all of a sudden your heart goes to her and you fall in love with her, why her versus somebody else? Why did that happen? It's beyond knowledge. It's beyond your ability to go through a list it happened because God put a love in your heart for that person. Beyond what you could ever understand, it is beyond the ability to know, but it is real. And that's what he said. I want you to know the love of Christ that way. That'd be one of the greatest things that would happen in the church. Revival would break out in the church if that one thing happened in us. That we didn't just know by knowledge the things we know about faith, but that we actually just fall in love with Christ and know the love of God. If we could ever get to the point, it's not that, well, I got to do this and I got to mark that. and I got to go through this in order to get there. 
But rather, it's just being in love with Jesus and the love of Jesus flowing in our heart, flowing in our life, and flows through us to someone else. And we don't know how it's there. We don't know why it's there, but we know it's real. And Paul says, that's the kind of love I want you to know. Not what you can figure out, not what you can explain, but something that's there that is inexplicable, but it is very, very real. Final thing he says about the family. Not only that it begins in faith and that you're rooted and grounded in love, but look at verse 19. He says, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. What a statement. That you as the church of God, you as the family of God, you as the individuals who know Christ, that you would experience and be filled up with the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Of God. What in the world does that mean? The fullness of God. Well, it tells you one thing is if you're going to be filled with God, you got to be emptied of everything else. Amen. You know, there's, it's impossible to fill that which is already full. When something is full, you can't fill it anymore. It runs over. So what it tells you is in order for us to be full of God, we have to be emptied of everything else. That sounds easy, but that's hard to do. That, that means we're empty of, of self. You've been empty of self lately? You've been empty of self? You just died to self? You don't really care about anything in self? You want everybody else to have their way? You want God to have his way? It, yourself, you don't, you don't, you're just dead to self. You there? It, it means you empty yourself of all possessions. Possessions don't own you. They don't control you. don't dictate your life. It means you empty yourself of all positions. It's not who you are. Somebody thinks you are. It means emptying yourself of other people that you would put in place of God, that you're filling your life with other people. They may be great people, good people, wonderful people, but you filled your life with them. And you got your life so filled with self, possessions, position, and other people that you can't be filled with God. And Paul says, and I want you to realize how important it is to be full of God. That all the other things, you'll, you'll just let go of all the other things. You'll, you'll let go of those things so that you can have the fullness of God in you. Because once you get the fullness of God in you, you're going to be glad you have it. And you wish you'd have gave it up a long time ago. Amen. The fullness of God in you, but you got to let go of everything else. You got to be willing to let go of those things in your life. And so often we're the one that's holding on. We're like that rich young ruler. We'll, we'll make fun of him sometimes. Man, I can't believe that rich young ruler would not give up all his stuff and go, feel, go feed the poor or, or give to the poor in order to have Jesus. Why wouldn't he do that? The same question might be asked of you. What are you holding on to your life that Jesus would come along and say, Hey, you got to give that up. You got to give that up. You got to lose that. Whenever you give that and lose that, you're going to have the fullness of God in you. And, he, and, and Paul says, man, I want you to know the fullness of Christ. I want you to know the fullness of God. I want it to be filled in your life to overflow. And why? Because he knows every one of those things are important if you're going to be the family and the part of the family you're supposed to be. 
You have to have Christ in your life to be the family member you're supposed to be and the family you ought to be. You're going to have to have the love rooted in your heart and your life and know about the love of God beyond what you can explain. You're going to have to have the fullness of God in your heart and in your life to be the family that God wants you to be. And if we can't get back down to being the family that we, we're supposed to be and that God's called us to be, that he's promised that we can be, we're never going to be the church that God needs for us to be. So it's all about us being in the family. It's all about us surrendering everything to be in the family for Paul's prayer to become a reality in our life. And, and as that prayer becomes a reality in our life and families come alive, the church will come alive. The church will come alive because of the love of Christ, the fullness of God, the power of God. That's available to each and every one of us. Where does it start? With Jesus being Lord and Savior. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, you need to give your heart to him today. Not tomorrow, not the next day. You need to give your heart to Jesus today. Well, that's the only way that you're going to be in heaven. That's the only way that you're going to have a family, eternal family in heaven. That's the only way it's going to be is the fact that you have given your heart to Jesus. Then began to discover the love of God. The love of God that's rooted, that you're rooted in, that you're established in. So deep, so great, you cannot measure it, cannot grasp it. You can't even define it. That's the love of God. And then the fullness of God in you. The fullness of God in you because you've emptied yourself of everything else except God. And you will find that he is sufficient for everything you need. And Paul said, that is my prayer. I bow my needs. I pray for you. This is what you need. The fullness of God. May you hear that. May you heed that. May you respond to God's word. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.